Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. So many of you are sheltering in place. Um, this has been a crazy ride. I uh, have spent some days where, you know, an hour or two crying. Some days just enjoying uh, being with my children. Well, every day I enjoy being with my children. Obviously, they are the best. You know, some days are good, some days are bad, some moments are good, some moments are bad. It's been a roller coaster, and I'm sure that you are feeling it too with um, the current coronavirus situation. I think on a past podcast, I'm not sure if it was like last one or the one before I said that when you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our daily online group, you can immediately get into a session. I apologize. I misspoke. We do have a timer on our website. Usually you can get in within at least 24 hours. Sometimes we have four groups per day. So that's like what's six divided? What's four divided by 24? I can't do math. But anyway, every six hours, every eight hours, something. So what I meant to say, my intent was that when you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, you can get in rather quickly into the next session. So, and usually the next session is only a few hours away. I'm sorry that I misspoke. Thank you for understanding. When you run a podcast like this, um, I misspeak sometimes. Like, I think I've said, I was thinking about this the other day. I think I said, no therapist ever identified the abuse. That I misspoke as well. They never did until the very end. <laughs> and a therapist, my very last uh, couple therapist, um, did. And I so appreciate that. He, he said, this is domestic violence. You are in an abusive relationship. This is you. And I was like, whoa. And it was a big eye opener for me. And everything changed after that. So I do need to give props to that particular therapist who we had gone to for 20 sessions, didn't recognize the abuse or at least didn't identify it until he witnessed it himself. So that's, of course, alarming that um, someone can go to 20 couple sessions and not find out until later. But um, eventually he did say that. And I appreciate that. Anyway, if and when I misspeak, I will try to correct it. Um, when you have 160 episodes, obviously some from time to time I'm going to misspeak. So thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it. Uh, with the coronavirus, our groups are running all the time, every day in Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. I know it's hard with your kids home from school and trying to homeschool. I know it's hard when you're concerned about where your next paycheck is coming from or your next meal. Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is only $125 a month for unlimited group sessions. That is less expensive than even one therapy appointment. And I think currently we have over 90 or over 80 sessions, depending on how long the month is. So it's a lot of sessions. It's an unlimited amount for you. It's the most inexpensive professional help for this type of emotional and psychological abuse that includes pornography use, our coaches are experts at helping you set boundaries, especially if you are sheltering in place. If you're trying to figure that out, like how do you detach from an emotionally abusive conversation? How do you detach from gaslighting? If you cannot remove yourself or if you did call the cops and they came and they might say, well, did he hit you? And you're like, no. You know, and there's no quote unquote crime that's taken place. So he wouldn't be charged with domestic violence per se, but it's still emotionally violent to you. It is a domestic abuse issue, even if the police don't recognize it, even if your local domestic violence shelter doesn't recognize it. 
lying, manipulation, gaslighting, running you around in circles for their entertainment (laughs) is an abuse issue. The other thing during a crisis like this is that that type of abuse will escalate because they have nowhere to go. If they can't work at an office, for example, you know, they can't stay late, they can't blame it on work, they can't get out of the house to act out or act out somewhere else and say, hey, well, I I need to work, don't you respect me? You know, that sort of thing. They can't do that if they're at home because you can kind of watch what they're doing. And so that agitates them more and they don't have any sort of space to act out. So the emotional abuse will likely escalate in that situation. Those are just some things to think about. So when you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, just look at that schedule and you can see when the next session is and you can get in on that next session. Today we're continuing the conversation with James. He is a Center for Peace client and his wife, because of the coronavirus situation and professional life and everything, she will come on the podcast, but we have um, rescheduled that. So it'll be a few, it'll be in a while, but know that I do have permission from her to interview her husband. She says he's doing fairly well and that she feels fine with the interviews that we've been doing. So that's always important to me. I never want to have a man come on who's touting his recovery without asking his wife, without knowing her perspective, because a man's always going to say he's doing well, right? So that's a concern for me. I always want to make sure to double check with his wife or his victim to ensure that it's not just a way to get attention or a way to pump up his ego or whatever. Anyway, so with James, we're going to continue the conversation here and we're going to start it with my philosophizing about society and how society in general does not educate men about abusive behaviors. It doesn't educate men about misogyny or about sexism or about these types of issues. And so, so many men, you know, you say these are abusive behaviors and they're like, no, they're not. And the reason why they don't think they're abusive is because they don't know squat about abuse. They don't understand abuse. They haven't studied. They don't know. And so all they can think is, well, I don't punch her in the face, right? They don't understand that if you lie to your wife, if you fail to get consent, if you gaslight, if you manipulate, you are an emotional abuser. You are a psychological abuser. That's something that everyone needs to understand. And so I'm bringing that up with James here and we'll continue the conversation now. So what are your thoughts about that? As you've realized, maybe having some compassion on yourself, realizing that this isn't just you. And I don't want to call you an abuser, James. I want to say you've been engaging in abusive behaviors and that you're working toward engaging in healthy behaviors. I'd prefer to say that. I think that feels more comfortable to me because just because you've used abusive behaviors in the past does not mean that you are destined to continue using them in the future. But what are your thoughts about the not knowing, about not being educated about this? How do you feel about that? I don't want you to feel sorry for yourself, so I don't want to go down that road, but like, do you have some thoughts on now that you know what a difference it has made or how you've observed it in other people or in society in general? Yeah, I do. So particularly given the Me Too movement, the culture that we're in, you know, if we look back in the 60s and the 70s, men were just misogynistic and narcissistic and had just a really interesting perspective as the quote-unquote head of a household. 
And I was reared and raised, not necessarily in that type of environment, but around me in my community, at my church. I saw that. I saw this very much so. It's all about me, life, and the wife is supposed to be. At least that's what communicated through actions. The wife is supposed to be the subservient one, and I can do what I want. And and I think it's been kind of propagated amongst the country, particularly, and with men it's scary. I mean, it really is scary for me because now I have the knowledge, I've been informed of my choices and my behavior and the way in which I have even personally led people to treat my wife in a way as if she is the offender and not me. You know, I remember a counseling session where two different counselors, literally two different counselors, they both said, wow, you know, I convinced them through my actions that I was this upstanding guy, but I really wasn't. But then they would look to my wife and say, now, what have you done to add to this problem? Almost both of them have actually blamed my wife and given her responsibility because of my choices. And looking back on that, it's like, oh, my God, what were we doing? Now, at the time, I was like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you this way? And why aren't you nicer in the way you talk to me? And why are you so mean? When those weren't her behaviors, she was hurt, she was in pain, she was suffering from post-traumatic stress and having to balance this continual residual actions on my behalf. And I had to see for myself that culture should not promote abusive behavior, not only on behalf of the abuser, but also on the people we look to, to advice and counsel on how to get better. I think the whole world needs to wake up to this reality that narcissism and gaslighting and manipulation are very real, very prevalent in society. And until we're able to really put our finger on it, identify it and correct it, we will continue to see relationships crumble. Particularly women have to suffer unnecessarily because of unhealthy men who are only creating unhealthier men and then it just becomes a generational curse almost. That's what we're seeing now is that it's so prevalent and getting help is so difficult that that's why so many women gravitate to BTR because they're like, we went everywhere and I couldn't figure it out. The interesting thing is the addict or the abuser, he's like, this CSAT is fine or this therapist is fine. I don't know why you're complaining. You know, they're like, why can't she get over it? They're just a little bit like, what's the deal? So in Center for Peace, We'll keep things confidential, but there was a man who did not want to let go of all of his entitlements, and Joy told me that he said, I don't want a BTR marriage. <laughs> he was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want a BTR marriage. Let's talk about that for a minute. There are a lot of people right now, mainly I would say sex addiction experts, who think that I and Blythe and BTR have gone too far by saying that pornography use is abusive to your spouse, right? In addition to all the other behaviors that surround it, the lying, the gaslighting, the manipulating, you know, all of that, just that it's abusive to your spouse. So going back to that BTR marriage, at first, did you think that, did you think, oh, this is just a bunch of women who like are man haters? Because I get that all the time. I get this, like she's gone too far. She wants people to get divorced. She's like a man hater. She's trying to ruin people, you know, whatever. Instead of recognizing that what I want and what we want at BTR is 
a marriage of mutuality and equality and partnership and a healthy marriage. That's the goal. So can you speak to that for a little bit? Was there a time where you were like, ugh, BTR, I hate it? <laughs> yes. So before I started the Center of Peace, about two months before, we had to do an interview with Joy just to kind of get a sense of you know, who we are and what we've done. And that's when I first got turned on to the podcast and Lundy Bancroft's book. And I'm reading it, I'm listening to it. And if I could just be honest, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, these people are crazy. How dare you call me that? They just want me to have a divorce. I mean, I was, I told uh, Joy, I was like, you guys just want my wife to be a lesbian. You just want her to be like a man hating, you know, I am free, hear me roar, woman. And you just want me to be in pain. I mean, I was just like completely offended. Like, this is not real. How dare you? <laughs> this is funny because now you're talking to me, the woman who you were listening to on the podcast thinking she's the devil. Right. <laughs> Literally, like I deleted the podcast. I was like, I am not engaging. This lady is crazy. But through time and attention and diligence and joy, Coach Joy, like, no, 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 no. And with healthy men, healthy men and healthy marriages, there's a sense of mutuality, right? You compliment one another. You pick up your slack. You tell my wife now, like, I want you to win, right? Like, I have won our entire marriage. You know, I've been married going on eight years. And not only that, we've known each other for 10. And we met in grad school. And I'm like, I've done so much wrong. Like, win. I want you to thrive go on your trips go get your shoes go get your new luxury car like i don't care let me drive the putt putt like i want you to win because the pendulum of 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 actions has swung on my side for so long it's been all about me for so long that i feel like a healthy marriage is in the middle but until we get there completely it needs to be on my wife's side. And that means that my actions, my words, my thoughts, and even my amends, although to some people's minds that might be unfair, I think it's appropriate given all the things that I've done. So what do you think now? Do you listen to the podcast now or did you delete it and then you never went back? No, no, no. I, uh, I definitely listen to it now. Oh, you do? What do you think about it now? I listen to it through a different lens now, right? So I listen to it as one who can empathize with the betrayed spouse, who can sit on their side of the street and identify with the pain that they're enduring. Even being familiar with your story and what you've had to endure. You know, I don't want to speak specifically to your story, but the situations you've had to deal with former spouse and your children and I was just like oh my god like that was me that was the narcissism and the selfishness and the manipulation like that was me and let me say this because I'm certain my wife's gonna say this like I am not perfect you know like there are still times when I think about me and there are still times when I struggle with empathy or I go into my head and I pull away but I'll think back on what I've learned or my wife will call me out say, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize sincerely. What do I need to do to make this right? What do I need to do to bring safety back into our relationship or into our home? And I think it's been beneficial. Something recently happened. It wasn't major. It was very small. And 
I had taken some time to really think about it. I journaled about it, which I never did. Now I'm on my third journal because of joy. I'm like, joy, I got to stop buying journals. But I journaled about it and I came to the revelation that I was completely wrong. And I texted her. I said, at night, I was like, listen, I'm sorry. This is what I did wrong. Identify this issue. This is the way in which I'm going to correct it. And she texted me and she said, you know, I really appreciate that apology. And that was big. That was big because there was a day when I could care less and I would just be like, yeah, you know, that's on you. Like you got to get over this, but no, I take ownership for the stuff that I've done. I think the repair piece is so important because all of us have moments like where I react to my kids in a way that I don't want to, right. It might not be to the level of lying or manipulation, but it's something that makes them feel bad, right. Or uncomfortable or whatever. And so because we're all human and we're all sort of making messes, no matter how healthy we are, or we might be very unhealthy either way, repairing is key. And I think that's something that men who continually use abusive behaviors repeatedly and can't seem to get out of it ever, they cannot repair. They don't know how to repair. They don't know how to make restitution. They don't know how to even identify what the problem was in the first place. Do you think your ability to repair then, I mean, you just said that, but like overall, your ability to repair has improved. Did you even think about repair before Center for Peace? So no, I, there was no such thing as repair in my mind or restitution. Like it was so foreign words to me. Like, why would I do that? I said, I'm sorry. You know, like, let's keep going. Like, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Let's move on. And sometimes I fall back into that trap. And my wife is like, no, you know, with every decision you make, there are consequences. And it's like, yeah, you're right. There are consequences. So before the center of peace, that was foreign. But now I understand like, no, you have to make right. You have to make this right. You have to show up every single time in a healthy way and restitution looks different for every relationship i know that for some it could be more extreme than others you know that's completely up to the spouse the betrayed spouse whatever they need to heal you know in my life and in my home i have been separated from my wife now physically for 16 months we have had a out of the home separation for eight months and then i moved back in and now we're having an in-home separation we interact with great partners. You know, we have four children. We're great partners. But any type of physical contact, relational contact, none of that has happened. And it won't be happening for some time. And I have stayed sober. There's no pressure whatsoever to engage in any type of physical activity. Although I would love to have a relationship with my wife. And sometimes I say, like, I really look forward to the relationship that we will have. But that's not a guarantee but if that's what repair looks like, if I have to be in this place for another year or two, just for me to show signs of consistency, not just temporary health, but consistent, healthy behaviors, that's what I have to do. But I won't stop because I know that that's important. I think that's the difference between grooming and change, right? So I talk about that a lot on the podcast. Like you really want to be careful that the positive changes that you are seeing are not just grooming. Does this man just want to resume sexual activity with you, for example? And so they're going to pull out all the stops for a month, let's say. I don't know how long. doesn't matter. But to like act nice and be all cool and whatever. And their quote unquote ulterior motive is because they want to have sex with you, right? Or 
Are they genuinely working toward healthy behaviors because they care about you, because they love you, because they want to have a mutually beneficial relationship? Those are two completely different things. And it's hard to tell, especially when you've gone through all this abuse and everything. It's hard to know, like, what is this behavior? Is it grooming? Is it legit? I don't know. And so for the man who has been exhibiting these abusive behaviors to understand that and give it enough time, because that consistency in time is all she has on her side, right? That's all she has to go on because she's had periods of time before this that have seemed good. Right. That turned out to be not so good before. Can you speak to that a little bit? Being patient with her process of rebuilding trust in you, you being patient with the process of regaining her trust. Sure. Your definition of it was me to a T love bombing, you know, and being this amazing over the top guy for a month and then not getting my way and falling right back into my behavior. That was me forever. And then I recognize that that's not, once the centerpiece took place, I was like, okay, that's not going to work. Because when you understand the weight of pain that your wife has endured, and the fact that some of us have been blessed to still have a spouse and not go through the divorce process, that it's like, this is the least I can do, right? The least I can do is patiently, not only patiently wait for my wife to be healed, but display behaviors, consistent behaviors and long-term behaviors of consistent change so that she can actually see progress in my life, right? And so the way I look at it, at least for me, I'll do really, really good and then I'll plateau for like a week. And it's like, okay, wait a second. Nope, I got another gear. And she'll identify something that needs to change. And I'm like, yep, you're right. And then I'll drive and I'm, I'm going, I'm moving up again. And then I'll kind of hit this peak. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I can keep going. And then something will happen. I say, you know what? I'm fighting for this and I'll go up a little higher. And this is a continual process. You know, it's like you take two steps forward, one step back, and then three steps forward, two steps back. You feel like you're not moving, but you really are. I could easily complain and say, oh my God, you know, I'm not able to have a relationship with my wife. This sucks. But it's like, no, six months ago, I was sleeping in an Airbnb. Six months ago, I didn't even have a conversation with my wife. I couldn't even be around her. The fact that I can laugh and joke and call her multiple times a day and at times sit down and look at a movie or TV now, no, I can't hug her, no, we can't have sex, or, or no, I can't sleep in my bed, but I can look at her and be mesmerized by not her physical features, but by the heart and the character and the woman that she has consistently shown up as. So I'm actually more blessed now than ever. You know, I told Coach Joy, I said, even though I haven't been relationally active with my wife, I have felt more loved by her in the last 15 months than I have my entire relationship. And she's done nothing differently. It's the mindset that I have now and the revelation of truth that I have that has caused me to understand the depth of love that can be expressed and experienced in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Isn't it interesting that when you're in that abusive, well, I'm going to say this if you disagree, feel free, but... When you're in that mindset of that abusive place, that you can't feel love from someone who genuinely cares about you. Can you speak to that for a second? Sure, sure, sure. The Dr. Gottman had the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? You know, think about this whole stonewalling idea. You know, I kind of use that metaphor and that terminology in the sense of like your heart is cold. When you're in that behavior, I tell my wife that 
front of my head, the frontal lobe of my head would be on fire. I could never experience anything. I couldn't feel love. I couldn't hear the love in her heart. It was impossible. And this wall was built up because if I truly was open to experiencing her love, then the behavior would not happen. So I had to have an excuse to behave the way I did. So I had to block it out. So I had to come up with ways and actions and words to prevent myself from feeling what was pure and true and honest. And so there's a man out there, when you feel that pain, when you feel that, that pushback, open up your arms, right? It literally means in a conversation, stand up and literally open up your arms to be able to not be defensive, to hear what your spouse has to say. If you got to put your hand over your mouth to be able to listen and empathize and understand and give room and space for them, then that's what really matters. So, James, this has been very fascinating for me. And also, I just really appreciate and can hear your sincerity. I hope it's sincere. (laughs) One of the reasons I make you use an alias is because if we find out you're a psychopath, then, you know, my listeners know what I'm talking about. But I really, really appreciate all the things that you have shared with us today. And I want to continue this conversation. So stay tuned. We will have him back on again, not next week, but soon in the future. So stay tuned and we will have in between his next episode and now we'll have his wife on to talk. So thank you so much for being with us today, James. It is my pleasure. I'm grateful for the chance to kind of share the good news about the centerpiece. And I'll say this, if possible, to any spouse that has experienced any type of betrayal, any type of abuse, if you get an opportunity to look into the centerpiece, I would just encourage you to just do it, invest the money, invest the time. It takes a lot out of you emotionally and mentally and physically as far as the male goes, the husband or the abuser. But if you can just invest that energy, think about all the resources that you've spent and all the time and the attitude that you've done abusing and acting out. Imagine if you put that time and attention towards the healing of your spouse, how better your life, your marriage, your family, your parenting would be. And I attribute all 150% of it, you know, I give God the glory first, but beyond that, I give Coach Joy and BTR and just everybody there. I'm grateful because I wouldn't be the same without them. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the podcast with the lady who you used to hate. That's great. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I love being the lady people used to hate. That's a good place to be. (laughs) All right. We will continue this conversation again once we can get another episode scheduled. If you're interested in signing up for Center for Peace, we only have 11 spots. When you join, those spots are held for you for the entire year. So you pay for the entire year all at once because that spot needs to be held the entire time. Usually we fill up pretty quickly and then men want to get in and they can't get in because there's only those 11 spots. So if you want to do this online program, it's completely online. It involves the wife. The victim has a meeting with the coach every single week to let her know what is actually going on. So there's no, you know, pulling the wool over her eyes because she's like, okay, well, he says this going on, this is going on, but no, this is what the victim is saying. And so Center for Peace is a radically different way to help men stop their abusive behaviors. So if you're interested after hearing this interview, go to cenfp.org, schedule an appointment with Coach Joy to have your initial intake session so she can explain how the program works. 
give you the informed consent forms, you know, all the stuff. It takes a while to onboard into the program. The man exhibiting abusive behaviors is required to do a polygraph prior to entering the program. And so it does take a while. So even though our next session starts in June, I think, you'll have to check the website um, for the exact date. But to get in the program, you want to sign up as soon as possible. Well, I'm going to go back to real life, um, watching the news a lot and um, trying to help my kids with their schoolwork. That is uh, fun, actually. I was a teacher for a long time, so I really enjoy like doing um, schoolwork with my kids when I can figure out how to do it, which is uh, really hard. So I'm learning and um, I will continue to learn. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a new adventure that we're all on. I'm right this very second feeling kind of hopeful, but um, a few hours ago I was crying and reading the Bible and praying a lot. If this podcast is helpful to you, your support makes such a difference. If you can support this podcast on a monthly basis, please go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. Also, every single one of your ratings and reviews means so much to me. So if you're so inclined, please go to iTunes or your other podcasting apps and rate this podcast today. And until next week, stay safe out there.